know what? We're back. We're here. And by we, she means crime culture. <laughs> We're going to try to introduce culture, the podcast more, aren't we? I've been I've been listening to a lot of podcasts because, well, Haley knows this. Nobody else does. And according to a reviewer that we recently had, we talk too much and we banter too much. But I've been... They can go fuck. I've been restoring a bar cart and I have listened... I have caught up on so many podcasts in the past like couple of days trying to restore this fucking vintage bar cart it's super cute though guys like you would love it oh my god it's adorbs. Um, but, <laughs> but um I, and so the one thing that was like glaringly obvious to me as i was listening to all these <laughs> and it was all different ones like it wasn't like i listened to it was like i was listening to like new episodes of each one yep and i was like oh fuck they're all introducing themselves <laughs> yeah it's like there's not a one and then some of them would straight up stop and be like oh, we didn't introduce ourselves oh no and i was like oh fuck yeah we're gonna make a 180 on episode is it 180 i don't know what no, number episode we're 178 this is. we're 178 is it yes because new computer means new episode organization method so now we have the date and nobody cares about Aww, this but that's cute the date and the episode number and the title look at us the thing we're well so... i mean look at me no look, <laughs> we're look so at me adult. But... <laughs> anyway um, burning my burning my 48 dollar candle we're so adults oh, yes well we're back for part two of three parts about columbine and before we even like begin i just wanted to thank every single person that uh reached out and commented and everything about last week's episode everyone was like super duper nice and uh i really really appreciate it and yeah. i hope that i mean i don't know if you can enjoy this but yeah. i hope that um but <laughs> you're getting some more info than you knew and uh we're learning you something learn a book and speaking of that um we did I, it's not so much a correction section it's clarification section uh thanks emma she sent us some really good information um the um the condition that klebold was born with is pronounced pyloric stenosis thank Just gonna, you thank you i don't i'm not good at the medical stuff so that's what that is and she did also say oh i had mentioned about um the teacher miss nielsen her 911 call mm -hmm. and how there's the widely available versions have um, a lot of the sections cut out from when yes. the two shooters went into the library because that's where yes. she was calling from. She did mention, uh, Emma mentions in her um, her message to us that there are the full versions available somewhere else if you really dig. I do want right. to clarify that I was doing so much aggressive research into this that I found some recordings of it and I didn't want to dig any deeper into it because uh it's already upsetting enough to hear uh the uh, versions that are widely available but yeah, yeah there are like especially with this case you can really go down some rabbit holes with some of this stuff so oh yeah if you can you can find stuff if you look for it hard enough definitely yeah, yeah. um well and that's also the call speaking of if you look for it hard enough um that's also the call the calls i guess plural the recordings she said that you could also hear um hear the the i don't want to say their names but like 
Okay. Well, you, we're going to be saying their names a lot. Harrison Klebold. I know, but I hate to. I hate to like give them like even like a an iota of a platform. But yeah, like so she she said you could hear like Klebold and Harris also like saying stuff to the victims in those 911 calls yeah like i remember correctly like we um we talked about in last week's episode where we went through the entire timeline of events uh they spent a a good amount of time in the library and Mm -hmm. did speak with a lot of people in the library as the massacre was uh going on so um if she was on the phone with 911 at that point and they were yelling you probably could have overheard it yeah so there's that um but this episode is mostly going to be about um what happened afterwards so we left off um that the two boys took their own lives in the um in the library at 1208 and now we're gonna dive into what's going on outside this door what is happening in the world what are people's reactions to this what the heck is going on uh for people who aren't in the room they don't no one knows what's fucking happening at this point right so according to the timeline that was created by cnn in association with the jefferson county sheriff's department uh, a swat team finally entered the school at the southeast entrance that's opposite the, the cafeteria library so the far end from where all the the shooting was going on at the time mm-hmm. uh they entered at 1206 p.m so the two boys would die two minutes later um okay this was 47 minutes after the first shots were fired so it took them almost an hour to get into the building yeah uh another swat team enters by the cafeteria at 109 p.m and they went from classroom to to classroom evacuating survivors um but were hampered by the sound of the fire alarms and there was a lot of old maps um that weren't showing new like a new wing of the building so mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of um, stuff that changed after Columbine is the protocol of what happens in any emergency type situation. Those maps should have been updated, yeah. even for a simple like fire drill. Right. Um, but uh, I do remember in a lot of the interviews and documentaries that I listened to uh, and watched they were talking about how the fire alarms going off. They started going off almost immediately when the shooting started because the shitty bombs that they tried to set off just let off mm-hmm. a lot of smoke. So the fire alarms, they said, were so disorienting. Like, right. it, it's just like the, the constant sound. I mean, obviously, we've all been into like a fire drill, but usually right. you're inside for a couple minutes and then you're outside in the fucking track waiting yeah. to go back into the school. <laughs> um, but the, the fire alarm was going off for hours so it's just crazy um but meanwhile the families of the students and the staff were asked to gather at the nearby leewood elementary school to await information you can imagine how yeah horrifying those parents feel um all students teachers and school employees were taken away questioned and offered medical care in small holding areas before being bused to meet with their family members at leewood elementary Some Mm -hmm. of the victims' families were told to wait on one final school bus that never came. So can you imagine? They're like, okay, there's one school bus left. And all these parents are saying, they're like, okay, okay, I'm waiting for my kid. I'm waiting for my kid. And that school bus never comes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's fucking horrifying. Oh, Oh my God. Like, that's just, that's, oh. (laughs) Like, the panic. I would have just died of a heart attack. Seriously. 
I just, I don't even think I would have been able to, like, handle that. I really don't. No, my mom would have sprinted into the school by that point. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, respectfully, like, we we briefly touched on the thing at UNH that went down. My mother apparently did. Now, this is, this is 50% possibly true. my my mother is is known to stretch the truth a little bit um a wee bit but allegedly i, I hate that i have to use allegedly with my own mother yeah right. um but allegedly she tried to get onto the campus and the cops like had to tell her she needed to leave and she like she's in like a big blacked out suburban and is just like i can I, like well, the worst yeah. part is i can see it i can see it if she actually did try to do this but she she just like tried to drive onto the campus i guess and they were like what the fuck are you doing nervous no. parents just muddy up the situation i understand <laughs> the, the terror but it's it's not going to make anything better or easier it's not it's just it's just not <laughs> we'll, we'll expand upon uh your situation with an active shooter once i get to um right before we talk about the motives this is still yeah stuff yeah, that's actively happening afterwards but um, just the parent thing i was like oh yes. <laughs> yes they do so um the next big thing that people have undoubtedly seen photos of is um Mm -hmm. what they refer to as the boy in the window so patrick ireland regained consciousness and lost consciousness several times after being shot by klebold he was Mm -hmm. one of the the boys that was shot in the library um he was paralyzed on his right side but he was able to crawl to the library windows where on live television at 2 38 p.m he stretched out the window, intending to fall into the arms of the SWAT team members standing on the roof of an emergency vehicle, but instead fell directly onto the vehicle's roof in a pool of his own blood. <gasps> oh my god! Yes. I did not know about that. Yeah, you, Holy there, you shit. can see clips of this. There's photo, like famous photos of it. It's heartbreaking. I take um, it he did not live. No, he did. Oh! Oh, that's much better then. Yes. I mean, it still sucks, but like, um, oh, that's a happier, that's a happier, okay. <laughs> yes. He became known as the boy in the window. Um, the team members, Don, I think his name is Kramer, and John Romanek were later criticized for allowing Ireland to drop more than seven feet to the ground while doing an, uh, while doing nothing to try to ensure that he could be lowered safely to break his yeah, fall. Yeah, like, like, that's just... After everything he went to, he needs to, like, throw himself out this window now, and you're not going to do anything? And, and Exactly, and you're not even going to, like, try to catch him? Like... or you know they've got everybody's seen every single cop show ever they've got those little like bouncy houses that aren't bouncy houses but they look like them i mean i'm sure they weren't anticipating i'm sure they weren't anticipating somebody to come throwing themselves out the window window to safety didn't you say their arms were raised to help people yeah yeah well yeah they must have seen him which is it i know right (laughs) don't say (laughs) you're gonna don't say you're gonna help and then not try to catch somebody it's like don't reach out for the, it's like it's like the worst kind of trust fall because like they're reaching out and why they, the fuck wouldn't they be yeah, like oh they that's the not psych. what i meant what were you doing then were you just stretching your arms yeah, did right? you want like want to do start like a wave going like what is the point what is the point I don't why know. but that, why? that's another thing of um what we talked about towards the end of last week's episode is these kids saved themselves yes they got themselves 100%. out of the school yes absolutely yeah absolutely Another, Which is upsetting that even had to be the case. Yes. But. Um, another that's like truly heartbreaking is um, at 2.15 p.m., students placed a sign in the window that said one bleeding to death. 
Um, this was to alert the police and medical professionals that Dave Sanders was in the science room. So mm. these amazing kids that were performing uh, emergency um, services on right. Dave Sanders um, made this sign, put it in the window just to notify people he's here. Like, come to this door. Oh. You need to come to this classroom. This is important. Um, police initially feared that it was a ruse by the shooters. What the f- Mm-hmm. yeah um a shirt was also tied think that a shirt was also tied to the doorknob to let um professionals know that that was the room at 2 30 uh this was spotted and by 2 40 swat officers evacuated the room full of students and called for a paramedic the student uh hansy and starkey were reluctant to leave sanders behind by 3 p.m the swat officers had moved sanders to a storage room which was more easily accessible um they did as they did so a paramedic arrived and found sanders had no pulse he had died of his injuries in the storage room before he could receive medical care and was the only teacher to die in the shooting oh my god and what literally like broke me as a person in um i think it i'll get to it in a little bit but there's a special called ripples of columbine oh my god they talk to all these survivors and everything and they were talking about um, Dave Sanders. Uh, they were talking to Dave Sanders' daughter, who um, was uh, an adult at this point. And yeah. she was home watching um, the live news coverage of the massacre um, with her family. And they pan over to the, the window that says one bleeding to death. And Dave Sanders' wife says, oh, my God, they have to help that student. Oh my and it was god. her husband oh I my know. god oh yeah oh no 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 yeah oh but oh, this, um, so dave sanders daughter is an incredible person we're gonna get to her in a little bit but really quickly this is the the basic timeline of events from after um from after the shooting so at 3 22 p.m uh injured student lisa Kreutz and the rest of the students and staff left in the library are evacuated by 3 30 p.m all of the bodies in the library are discovered. Oh. By 4 p.m., Sheriff John P. Stone made an initial estimate of 25 dead students and teachers, 50 wounded, and referred to the massacre as a, quote, suicide mission. Uh, President Bill Clinton later issued a statement. At 4.30 p.m., the school is declared safe. At 5.30 p.m., additional officers were called in as more explosives are found in the parking lot and on the roof. Remember, they had, like, a bags full of a hundred different explosives that they were just tossing in different directions down hallways mm -hmm. onto the roof blah blah blah, blah. um by 6 15 p.m officials find a bomb in klebold's car in the parking lot set to detonate the gas tank and the entire school is marked as a crime scene at 10 40 p.m a member of the bomb squad who is attempting to dispose of an undetonated pipe bomb accidentally lit a striking match against the bomb by brushing it against the wall of the um disposal trailer the bomb detonated inside the trailer, but no one's injured. Uh, this is the next day at 8.30 a.m., April 21st. The official death toll of 15 was released. By 10 a.m., the bomb squad declared the building safe for officials to enter. 11.30 a.m., a spokesman of the sheriff department declared that an investigation was underway. 2.30 p.m., a press conference was held by Jefferson County District Attorney Dave Thomas and sheriff john stone at which time they said that they suspected others had helped in the planning of the shooting formal identification of 
the dead had not taken place at this point, but families of the children thought to have been killed had been notified. Oh my God. By 5 p.m., the names of many of the dead were known. An official statement was released naming the 15 confirmed deaths and 27 injuries related to the massacre. So that is the basic uh, accepted story of Columbine. Obviously, there's things that, like little minutia that I might have left out. Don't come for me. I tried to do this as concise as possible. Um, but before as I get into as possible, yeah, I know three episodes. Three episodes. <laughs> uh, before I get into like the motives and and in part three, we're going to get into all the pop culture and everything. But I do mm-hmm. want people to hear if you're okay talking about it, and if everyone uh, feels comfortable listening to it, you, uh, as we have alluded to, lived through an active shooter situation. Yes, I didn't know we were talking about that this episode. <laughs> Um, I didn't think yeah. it would fit in the pop culture section, so. I mean, what? You think I'm not a pop culture icon? Excuse you. <laughs> I was on one episode of The Big C. Um, no. Um, yeah, I could talk about it. Um, so, I don't even know where to start. So, there was a... I went to, for those who don't know, the University of New Haven in West Haven, Connecticut. Yes, I know the name is weird. I... Long story. It makes no sense. Um, it makes no place. sense. It, it, it's a weird place, but also it makes sense in the sense that it started out in New Haven and they moved to West Haven, just never bothered to change the name. Whatever. Um, yeah, it, that's not that's not the reason why shit went down the way it did. Um, though I will say it helped. So they're a criminal justice. Um, what what would you call it? Like it, centric. Yeah, criminal uh, criminal justice is one of the most. Uh, studied majors, I think, at UNH. Yes, criminal justice and forensic science are the top two most studied majors. Like, they make up, I want to say, like, 50% of the population of students, and then all the rest are all the other majors. Um, And that's why we talk about Dr. Henry C. Lee so often, probably not as often as we should, but we do, because he basically started that forensic science program and Mm -hmm. the criminal justice program and all of that. Um, For those who, who... don't know for casual listeners dr lee has worked on a myriad of high profile profile cases including jean benet ramsey um he worked on lacey peterson too didn't he yes. yeah i think we I, yes. yeah i think we brought him We've up episode one list. yeah i was gonna say he's he's worked on like if you google him it's just it's incredible the things that he has accomplished um and he's and so he's a professor there but so i say all of that because i think things would have gone differently if it wasn't that type of school just because as part of the criminal justice program, um, the campus police were actually West Haven, Connecticut police officers instead yes. of like Paul Blart mall cop. Yeah. Um, make no mistake. Some of them made Paul Blart look like a CIA agent, but for the most part they were professional. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they, that we had a police, um, what what do you call it like station on yes campus and i remember um i did not go there for anyone who's confused you basically did you were I, there every weekend i visited at first every t- three weeks and then every two weeks and then towards the end i was there as often as i could be um but every time i was there i remember there being like a heavy police presence like yes in and around well <laughs> I will it's say West Haven is not the greatest place in the entire world. Oh, so. it's very not safe. Yes. Yeah. But um, 
I mean, the uh, campus what, was pretty safe. The well, campus was safe, but a friend, a friend was held at gunpoint after leaving CVS one time. So that's that's not well, great. And and another friend of ours got well. He, I haven't seen him in many years, but he got mugged with nothing but a broomstick. So yeah, it was that great. kind of area. It's that kind Michael's, of area, but it's also that kind of campus. So now yes. explain kind of what what happened. One one quick aside that I did want to say, Michael's uh, former apartment was like across the street from the campus, for example. And the day after or like two days after we moved, a woman who lived across the street from his apartment building stabbed her husband to death. And I was like, it's good that you moved. Yeah. You don't want to be in that, that um, kind of building energy. Yeah. You don't want to be with that toxic energy <laughs> and those vibes. Um so so yeah, I, am I stalling or am I stalling? Um, it's all right. Collect so your there thoughts. was a there was a a student named William Dong. Um, I didn't know whether or not to name him, but you know what? Fuck this kid. So yeah, um, and he there there were a lot of things like he just he he wasn't well. Um, he decided that he was going to we don't really know the why or the what but he decided that he was going to commit a violent act on campus um and he later heavily backtracked but he that was it was very clear he had um and it was planned it was planned it was planned um he had multiple guns it was towards the end of the fall semester it was like right before winter break i want to say it was like soon after the anniversary of sandy hook it was like right around then okay um because this is prevalent because one of the guns that he he brought with him but did not bring with him to the campus was the same type of gun that adam lanza had used Mm. when he murdered those children at sandy hook and i believe Um, that what kind of the situation was is the the school was kind of up this hill and he parked yes. in the grocery store parking lot down the hill so he had a lot of his Stuff. weaponry in yes. the car and didn't yes, take everything had, to campus yes he had like like a like a not like an suv but you know what i mean like a subaru type yes. of car um and he had a bunch of guns in there including this assault rifle and so basically unh had a terrible and it only got worse since we left parking situation and so many students would park down the hill right off campus at the local shop right there was also a mcdonald's in that parking lot and it got to a point where like shop right was literally like hey like you need to collect your kids like they can't keep parking here um but because of that it was kind of just they they kind of turned a blind eye to it until it got to a point that people could not get into the store yes um but there was a houseless woman who was there and she watched William um, take guns from his car. He put them in his backpack, in his like laptop case or whatever, mm-hmm. and start trekking up to campus with his guns. And she understandably freaked out, went to ShopRite and said to them, I need to call the police. Mm-hmm. There's a gunman. He is going to the school across the street and they basically called her crazy and turned her away. Of course. So she ran across the parking lot, which this was no small parking lot, um, to the McDonald's and said the same thing to them. And McDonald's let her call the cops. 
and honest hero honest hero i believe she was actually i believe um unh endowed her with some with some money for her efforts if i remember correctly um but she very well could have just given up yeah like after she was turned away the one time and i think that's the reason why things ended as well as they did and that's why the if you see something say something yes. uh, rhyme is out there like and that's why it matters <laughs> yeah and if you yeah i mean there's no other way to put it but if you see something say something to someone yeah, yeah. so like, don't put yourself in oh, harm's sorry. way no. like yeah. she was she was smart in in going like not trying to go up to him right. um and and trying to to contact the police immediately right or con- contact emergency services some somebody that could help right um so she so she um does this at mcdonald's meanwhile at this point he had gotten to campus and it's had not a walked far into walk. his it's not a far walk it is really not it's like maybe five minutes um he he was in class he was heading into the class that he was headed to was a biology class and it was in like a big lecture hall unh doesn't have a lot of them but the few that they have it's not even like huge but it's big enough that like i want to say like 100 students could fit in there maybe Mm -hmm. um so he walked in and sat down and everything and i i i only know this part because a girl who was the same major as i was was in this class wow Yes. And um, she told us all later. So meanwhile, the police go down. They discover she like the the houseless woman leads them to the car. They check his car. They go to his. He was a commuter student like I was, like many of the students are at UNH. And. um, He they went to his home and he had like hyper locked his door like mm-hmm. multiple locks his parents um he he's the he was a first generation american his parents were immigrants they didn't speak much english so they didn't really understand what was going on and i can't imagine what they must have been going through yeah um like suddenly a ton of police are at your door and i don't think it was even just police i think it was also agents um you don't know what's going on they can't really tell you what's going on and they're just trying to break your son's door down yeah and so they go in and they found a lot of I, I, the best way I can describe it is basically like a shrine to a variety of shooters. I know the I know Adam Lanza was one. Aurora, Colorado was another one. Um, Columbine may have been another one, but mm-hmm. I don't quite remember. Um, but there were there were tons of news clippings, tons of writings, um, vi- violent media and things like that like he was he was very clearly unstable and very clearly idealized these horrible people yeah and used it as kind of like a playbook for what he wanted to do yeah a playbook and like even like not even like a not like just a playbook like it like i said like it was really like a shrine like it was like yeah. from the sound of i wasn't in there they didn't post pictures that i could see um because for a while a lot of us followed the news of this like a hawk like hawks. yeah obviously um, but he from what i gathered it was like wall to wall just like like you know that that meme from it's always sunny with charlie day where he's got like the strings and yeah the, and, and the, the eyes yeah, yeah. It, like minus charlie day like that's basically what his bedroom was supposed to be like 
Jeez. It was just tons of stuff. Um, so now here's where things get a little shitty. Um, a little shitty, she says. Um, so meanwhile, they're all they're all in those places and UNH is notified and they had a text and email system. And I was actually with Elisa in class. Mm-hmm. We were we our classroom was I'd I'd call it conservatively maybe maybe 70 75 percent windows mm-hmm. um the entire front of the classroom was floor to ceiling glass the doors were glass all of it was glass and then the back it was like a kind of a round back rounded back wall and there were large bay windows in these walls and then on one side of the room was this this room seated about 45 students um on one side was the teacher's like desk area and then on the other side was what was actually a utility closet slash computer um like you know what i mean like a computer closet like we're all like the the beep boop block yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. that's the technical term um <laughs> beep boop block things that's where they all were so we had a professor who we all we didn't think she was crazy for doing this but we also didn't understand how big of a deal it was um the the levit whatever um she used to talk all the time about how every room she went into she would look for exits and she would look for hiding spots Mm -hmm. because of active shooters um which proved to be very handy in a class of 30 students with floor to ceiling windows where you were basically in a fishbowl and there was an active shooter and they did not know who or where he was. Um, So we, Elisa got the email. I remember I was sitting with her and a couple people got the email at the same time and everybody was kind of just like, uh, and then, as the professor was coming to look over at one of the emails, we all got texts and active shooter, like take cover, shelter in place. Um, like classes are canceled, but stay where you are. Um, so we all kind of lost our ever loving minds for a minute. But mm-hmm. what was really wonderful was we had a few um, students in the class who were athletes um, like like big hulking football players. And um, so our teacher, having taught in this room multiple times a day, every day, was like, that utility closet could probably fit all of us, but they store chairs in there for events. But when the events, when an event is happening, like later in the day or the next day, they will take the chairs and they will stack them on the side of the room. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon to see them like that. So she was like, we need to go in there because there was the desks like you can't really hide under the desks um like i said it was a fishbowl yeah yeah um so she these football players went in and like basically their arms were just laden with chairs and are moving these chairs out as fast as they can and we all cram in there and one of the football players, like, it, he was jokingly referred to as grandpa because he was always like, oh, you're going out for your 21st birthday tonight? Okay, be sure to drink water. Mm-hmm. Don't b- drink anything that somebody gives you. Like, he was just the nicest guy. Um, he actually, he just won an Emmy the other day, too. Um, unrelated, but good for him. Um, <laughs> so he said, hey, guys, 
we're the bigger people here women to the back and normally i would be like feminism but i was like sure get me as far the fuck away from the door as possible he was basically like the larger of us the ones who could take somebody we're gonna stand near the door Mm -hmm. so we were all shoulder to shoulder um this is where i called my mom and then told her what was happening and promptly hung up because we were all taking turns so that it didn't it wasn't too loud yeah and so one person would call a parent we'd wait for them to hang up and then another person would call a parent so with 30 people that takes a while um there was one gentleman in my class i remember who was autistic and um i remember he called his parents and i'm sorry um he called his parents and his father picked up the phone and he told his father that he was that what was going on basically and that he wasn't going to be able to make it work probably and could he please not have to do chores that night oh yeah so we're all in there also another gentleman um in our class i don't know why i'm calling them they're fucking dudes i don't know um i'm suddenly getting very prim and proper (laughs) um one of them saw there was a girl out in the hallway just walking as we were getting into the closet and he ran out and he grabbed her and was like there is a shooter i don't know how you don't know this but you (laughs) need to come with me you didn't get the text girl no she was a potential grad student who had just finished her interview oh wow and our professor god love her actually at one point turned to her and said so do you think you're gonna go here (laughs) Oh jeez! And we're all looking That's at not her the like small talk that you need well, that moment. Well, exactly. But we're also all looking at her like, what the fuck do you think? And she and so this girl, I swear to God, looks her in the eye and goes, "No, I'm walking out this campus and I'm never fucking coming back <laughs> exactly, ever." Exactly. Exactly. And just like just the fact, I was like, you can't make this shit up. And there's a few moments of that in this story. So meanwhile, we're all hiding in this closet, shoulder to shoulder, like packed like sardines the biology class that that william dong was in um they get they get the text everybody's kind of freaking out um a lot of professors did not follow protocol this was one of them and for that i'm i don't know whether to be thankful or angry um michael michael and elliot had a similar professor who turned out the lights and they all just watched magic school bus until the thing was over and i was like yeah okay so basically the shooter just needs to listen for what the frizz no way and then yeah. boom that's it i was like are you fucking serious we didn't know each other then so i didn't really or did we know each other then i think we might have known each other then i think so i don't I remember don't, what but, year it was yeah i've blocked most of this out um i'll be honest but um so they're in the, this classroom and the professor like many professors said to the students i don't know what you guys want to do but i'm going home so you all can just leave. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Um, very not great. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking now because I was curious and it was, it was in, um, oh, what do you call it? It was, it looks like it was in 2013. So, so that was your sophomore year. That was my sophomore year. And this was, it looks like. I think Sandy Hook was a year later. Yeah, I mean, a year before. That's what I meant. Yeah, so, yeah, Sandy Hook was the 14th, and this was, like I said, I've blocked a lot of this out. Um, yeah, you December, haven't thought about it, it in a while. 
Yeah, well, and not even that. I, I, I prefer not to think about it. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't enjoy thinking about it when it's. I, you I don't know, think anybody me. does. Yeah, um, but it looks like this was like December fourth ish from what I'm looking at. Okay. Um, so he got up, and all the students were getting ready to leave, and the the teacher had said he basically read the text out loud for those who did not like see it or whatever um and it said that it was an asian male in his like early 20s okay um and william that as his last name might have suggested william dong was asian and um he stood up and he said man asians they're fucking crazy right and walked out yeah yeah all right well and so, and also such an, and he later tried to pull the, I'm so innocent card. And it's like, wow, so you're going to say that. And then, and I'm like, I'm looking at this article right now, try, trying to like remember certain things. Um, he had more than 2,700 rounds of ammunition in his bedroom alone. Jesus. He, he had over 200 rounds of ammunition in his, like, with him. Yeah. Between when he, what he had left in the car and what he had brought with him. Yeah. To the campus. Um, and so he had brought a semi-automatic handgun and then another handgun in his, in his bag along with his ammunition mm-hmm. and had left his Bushmaster XM-15 assault rifle. He had went to bring it with him and then decided to leave it in the car because it would be too conspicuous, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, but... So, yeah, so he says the Asians, they're fucking crazy, right? And he leaves. So we ended up being in the closet for about three hours. Um, the lockdown had actually been called off a bit before that. Like, I think we were in there an extra hour or something. But um, the SWAT team had come. They Students were told to stay in their rooms. Um, I remember kids posting. This, this was when Yik Yak was also a thing. I don't know if anybody I forgot about Yik that, Yak. but yep. Um, and people were posting on Yik Yak being like, yo, the SWAT team just like burst into my dorm room or I went out to go get some like water and I was screamed at by a SWAT team told to get in the in the like dorm yeah. because I like whatever. Or like there were there were commuter students who were like having to stay in friends dorm rooms because they didn't yeah. have class and they couldn't go home yeah they couldn't and leave. they couldn't just stand in the quad and be like here i am yeah so so we were in there for much longer than need be um because our our professor had hit us so well they did not know we were in there wow and all right yeah and so many classes so many professors dismissed their classes first of all so many dismissed their classes that they actually had to re-administer active shooter training because so many of them failed yeah. to follow protocol Wow. Um, but so many had dismissed the classes that they just assumed she had been another one who did it. And so we had heard through texts from other people that the thing had been called off, but we didn't know for sure. Yeah. And so somebody very brave walked out to kind of look and happened to see members of a SWAT team walking down the hall of the the building we were in. Uh-huh. And they were like, it's it's over, but it's not over. Um, we've, we've caught him. He's been arrested. But there was, as I mentioned last week, there were allusions to, he alluded to there being other shooters. Okay. So they were like, we're doing a full sweep. Like, they were going into everybody's dorm room. They were, like, they did a full sweep of the campus. Jeez. Um, 
So we were being evacuated to the gym, which we all were sitting there like, are you fucking stupid? You're going to evacuate all of the students to the gym and you think there might be another shooter, maybe more. And you're going to put all of the targets yeah. in the gym. Yeah. Put a, put everybody in one room. Yes. With, with again, tons of fucking glass. Yeah. Yeah. That, that so, college but, was made of glass. Yeah, it really was. Um, so we're all sitting there like that, whatever. And so I texted my mom and my mother, I remember, could not understand why I could not just walk past the gym into her car. And I was like, listen, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these situations, but that's not quite how it works. <laughs> yeah, right. They don't want you fucking moving. <laughs> yes. Um, then uh, speaking of um, situations where that's not quite how it works, um, that professor who also had asked that girl if she was staying. Um, so there was another girl in our class. She had broken her foot like shortly before this incident um so she was on crutches and she had a boot uh-huh <laughs> and i shit you not the swat one of the members of the swat team who our professor our very our heavily married professor um thought they were all like she loved a man in uniform um they offered they said to this girl one of them was like do you want me to carry you oh jeez. And the girl said, no, like, I think she was just embarrassed. And she was like, no, 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 like, I'm okay. I can walk. Like, I'm fine. And my professor goes, well, if you want, you can carry me. Oh, geez. <laughs> and he looked her in the eye and he shut that shit down. And Time went, to place. No, ma'am. He literally, he said something along the lines of like, like, that's not funny. Like, now, now's not the time. Like, no, like, we're walking. Like, oh, let's go. Jesus. And so, and we're all just sitting there like, doctor, insert last name here. <laughs> please don't do this yeah but but um, anyway like the long and the short of it is nobody was injured in your in your nobody case was as far injured as I know. he was not injured even he was taken in as as they do with non-black offenders he was taken in without any issue he later said that he was not planning on shooting up the school but that he was planning on going to a shooting range and that's why he had all of his guns and his assault rifle uh -huh. but he didn't he didn't have any explanation as far as I can remember for why he left some guns in the car and some ammo and in the car and others him. not. Yeah. And then also um, the governor of Connecticut at the time had also banned the the Bushmaster, Bushmaster, Bushmaster assault rifles yeah. um, after Adam Lanza had used them like a year before. Yeah. He banned them from the state. So they also were like, not only is it illegal for you to have this, but... You can't like use on a, it here. on a school campus, near a school campus. On a school campus, but also in Connecticut in general, it yeah, was yeah. illegal to have. And they were like, no shooting range will allow you to use this in Connecticut. Yeah, so. And no shooting range, I believe, in New York was going to allow them to have it. And I don't think New Jersey either. I, New Jersey, I'm iffy on, but I'm pretty sure New York and Connecticut, it was not allowed. New Jersey's always iffy. Um, everything's legal in New Jersey. Yep. Um, so he then he said he was going to go to Pennsylvania, to a shooting range in Pennsylvania. I mean, that checks out, but also I don't believe it. It checks out, except it doesn't check out. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe him for a second. Checks um, out that they probably let him shoot it there, but also, mm, no, you weren't going to do that. Yeah, no, that's not what you were doing here. Um, So we all gathered into the gym. He was taken. They did a sweep. There were no other people. He was taken um, to to the police station and arrested and whatnot. Um, he was brought to trial a year later, um, he was sentenced to two years in prison. Mm -hmm. um, and 
he, I don't know. Oh, and I'm looking here now. And he also, um, there were a lot of searches on his iPad. Mm. Um, and he said that he wasn't, he, he owned the guns. He, there were a lot of school shooting searches, like research on his iPad. Yeah. And he also said, so there was another, which we'll get to probably at some point there, there were the 2007 Cheshire family murders. Yeah. Um, in Connecticut. And he said that that had prompted him to like, basically carry because he was scared. Now, for those who don't know the, the murders, it was a break in gone wrong, basically. Yeah. So which it means you're yeah, you don't need to carry on a school campus when this crime that you said influenced you to live in fear did not occur on a school yeah. in, at a school on yeah. a campus. But so he got two years in prison, um, ended up serving five years probation and Bullshit. UNH students were fucking pissed. And he was just like. I just like to spend my time at home now. I work in my family's restaurant. This all I this I remember because just the audacity of it. Yeah. Um, but I guess I, I hate that I have to even say this. I guess nobody died, so he doesn't need to be punished. Yeah. Severely. But... Um, even though he literally, it was just a case. If it wasn't for that that woman, then yeah, everything. Could I don't have know what changed. would happen. Yeah, and I mean, and the fact that also it was like it was right before Christmas. And it was on the anniversary almost ish of Sandy Hook, give yeah. or take like a week or two. Um, and just like, I, yeah, I, I really, I don't know how to explain to people. And it's Sandy Hook already had me pro gun control just because I, I was a nanny at the time. And like a lot of my, my kids knew a lot of the siblings of the kids who died, yeah. um, knew the kids who died. One of my neighbors died. Um, my, one of my brother's aides, his classmate was one of the teachers who died. Mm -hmm. um, just like everybody knew my mom's best friend from high school. It was her niece was one of the victims. Um, but I just, I can't begin to stress just like it's it, it, these stories, they break my heart. They already broke my heart. But then when you're in that closet or that room or whatever and you're having to come to terms with the fact that you may not walk out and that your family may never see you again and that you may never see the people like i was lucky in the sense that i was actually with close friends mm -hmm. who and our professor as much as i love to as i love to joke about her like she truly loved us we would go to her house for like her kids' birthday parties. Like, she truly did love us. Um, you know, I just... You think about... I was... I was... I, I wasn't a child. I was, I was in my late teens, early 20s. I don't really yeah. know how old I was because I don't know how old I am now. Um, and my, my birthday's in, like, a week. Um, but you just... But it's terrifying to you as a young adult can you imagine these poor yeah. high school kids yeah like i can't i can't imagine being in high school and it, you're in high school and you, you're a teenager sure but you're still a kid and even with sandy hook like these were seven-year-olds yeah and just to to be in that situation at least as an adult you kind of know what's going on yeah and these kids i and you went through that in the age of like the cell phone age so 
you oh, yeah. you you saw like the yik yaks and like texts from yeah. people saying like all right this is what i heard this is what i heard yeah i like i can Tweets, talk twitter was huge twitter was extremely helpful yeah well i can talk about in in this specific case uh this was the first columbine was the first um mass shooting of like the the cell phone age so the way right. the information was traveling it was a lot of it was wrong so that perpetuated a lot of the stereotypes we talked about the trench coat mafia thing last week and all of that but um in in your case it helped you stay connected to a bunch of people um but in the the situation of Columbine, there 1999 there was a lot of kids that didn't have cell phones so it was mostly adults it was like an adult thing this was back before the third grader that lives next door had a nicer cell phone than you yeah so Um, they're they're sitting in closets and not know what the hell is going on yeah and And not being able to communicate with their families like again that was like a that was a huge thing because there were also kids who their families their parents were separated so they had to make two phone calls yeah yeah exactly or like i couldn't get a hold of my dad yeah um yeah you don't want that that situation anytime but um you know although we uh, like we don't really know the motivation behind um your situation of what he was thinking and i think that's that's the main question in a lot of these cases is like why did these people do this so i'm gonna dig into the motives of um of what they think Harrison Klebold, why they could have done it. And there's a lot, there's a lot of information on this. There's a lot of like, could it have been this? Could it have been this? I'll get to what my theory is um, after I've laid everything out. But basically the goal Harrison Klebold had written in their journals and said on some of the basement tapes that the goal of the massacre was to have the most deaths in U S history. Um, but they never said beyond that they never stated an explicit motive of why they wanted to do it um but soon after the massacre like i said the information was traveling crazily um it was thought that harrison klebold targeted jocks blacks and christians um in one of the basement tapes they mentioned some of their religious classmates Klebold said, quote, I don't like you, Rachel and Jen. You're stuck up little bitches. You're fucking little Christian godly little whores, end quote. Uh, I don't know for sure because it's not mentioned anywhere, but Rachel could have been Rachel Scott, not saying that she was targeted in um, the massacre, but uh, maybe it was a coincidence or maybe he was talking about a completely different Rachel. But Rachel Scott was a religious girl that went to Combine. Yeah. She was the first one um, to die right um they also mentioned that they hated all races um and enemies that abused them and friends that didn't do enough to defend them they kind of in the basement tapes they kind of went into like they kind of hated everybody yeah uh, and they can only trust each other and that's dangerous um although they used derogatory comments about people in the basement tapes harris wrote on his website quote you know what i hate racism you people are the scum of society and aren't worth a damn piece of worm shit you are all trash and don't let me catch you making fun of someone just because they are a different color because i will come in and break your fucking legs with a plastic spoon i don't care how long it takes and that's both legs mind you end quote so the difference between what 
was written and what was said in the basement tapes is kind of weird. Um, so I was, I was finding a lot of, um, information as I was, as I was doing the research, anytime that Harris or Klebold were away from each other and either wrote something or recorded something without the other one, they seemed, I wouldn't say more rational, but they seemed, um, not as gung-ho about this idea. Uh, there's a couple of videos or portions of the basement tapes of Harris kind of like crying and like confessing some stuff. And like on his website, he says that, um, he's against racism <laughs> and in Klebold's journals, he talks a lot about like, basically just about wanting to date this one girl. Her name is uh, redacted from all of the journals because obviously it's not her fucking fault that any of this happened. But um, they kind of all, like individually, they whined and cried about everything. And then when they were together in the basement tapes, it seems like they kind of wanted to one-up each other in how uh, in how much they wanted to get back at people. So... I do think that their friendship was this perfect storm. They they each brought each other up in a way that was unhealthy. Yeah. They egged um, each other on, kind of. They did, 100%. Yeah. I, and um, one of the things that Emma said is like, yeah, it's easy to say that Harris was in charge and Klebold was kind of the follower. It's not really that situation. Maybe uh, Klebold didn't fire as many shots. That doesn't matter. It's they each did something for the other person to become this horrific storm of what we have now. Mm -hmm. Um, but regardless of, of what they had said in basement tapes or whatever on the actual day of the shooting, there was no one group that was single singled out. Like if you look right. at the, the list of, um, the victims or the people who were injured, it wasn't all jocks. It wasn't all Christians. It wasn't all people of color. It was anybody. They basically just shot in any direction at that point. Um, but digging in a little bit more onto why. So the FBI concluded that the killers were victims of mental illness, that Harris was a clinical psychopath with a God complex, hell bent on demonstrating his superiority to the world. And Klebold was a depressive follower who participated in the massacre mainly to end his life. Um, this is again, like I said, this is what the FBI concluded. Um, but if you'll listen to our recent episode, psychopaths versus sociopaths, you'll learn that diagnosing someone as, um, a psychopath isn't like so cut and dry, but right. at 18 years old, Harris would be kind of the right age to um, diagnose ASPD, which is what is commonly referred to as a psychopath. Um, Professor Aubrey Immel Immelman published a personality profile of Harris based on journal entries and personal communications, and he believes that the materials suggested behavioral patterns consistent with quote, malignant narcissism, pathological narcissistic personality disorder with borderline and antisocial features, along with some paranoid traits and unconstrained aggression, end quote. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's, yeah. based, that's a lot of repressed anger, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dwayne Fusilier, the 
supervisor in charge of the Columbine investigation would later remark, quote, I believe Eric went to the school to kill and didn't care if he died, while Dylan wanted to die and didn't care if other died as well, end quote. Um, this theory, obviously, has been met with some criticism. Critics cite the fact that Klebold, not Harris, was the first to mention the killing spree in his journal. They also cite evidence that Harris was depressive as well, such as um, he had a prescription for antidepressants. Opponents of contemporary psychiatry, like Peter Bregan, claim that psychiatric medications prescribed to Harris may have exacerbated his aggressiveness. Toxicology reports confirm that Harris had Luvox in his bloodstream at the time of the shootings, whereas Klebold had no medications in his system. As part of the diversion program that they had to go to after breaking into that van, Harris began therapy with a psychologist and psychiatrist. In one scheduled meeting, he with his appointed psychiatrist, um, Harris had complained of depression, anger, and suicidal thoughts for which he was prescribed the antidepressant Zoloft. However, after complaining of feeling restless and having trouble concentrating, the doctor switched him to the similar drug, Luvox. Harris also wanted to join the United States Marine Corps, but his application was direct rejected shortly before the shootings because he had taken Luvox. According to the recruiting officer, Harris did not know about this rejection, although Brooks Brown said that he already knew. Harris continued his scheduled meetings with his psychologist up until months before the massacre. So you can't just say that Klebold was a depressive one and had uh, suicidal thoughts, um, because I will post on the the website, I also have a copy of um, Harris's report from his um psychologist that something that he had to fill out and he indicated on this report that he had um i think homicidal ideations which is definitely something you need to look into yes and also you know i i i hate i hate how i i wish that the medication and the mental health side of this people will take that and run with it and they'll be like oh well then every depressed person is at risk of committing a shooting or everyone on zoloft is gonna commit a shooting like like i just it's very it's it's i understand why that information is out there but i just feel like it's also kind of irresponsible for it to be so openly out there and widespread i think it should definitely be more um, well known that any type of long-term medication that you're going to take is probably going to have a weird period in the beginning to I figure think- out what your dosage is, even yes. birth control. Yes, even birth control. But I, I will say, like, one of the reasons why I went on antidepressants was because I thought I was managing my depression great spoiler alert i wasn't well that's but why you go to the therapy to fu- that's, to, oh, for well, somebody yeah. to tell I, you hey that's what i thought you're not doing as hot as you thought i didn't i didn't but that's what i was doing i was going to therapy but i wasn't on antidepressants i thought therapy was enough and i went to and for some people it is i'm not saying that it's not and for some people antidepressants alone are enough and they don't need therapy and like like you said like the trial and error there's always going to be it but it was my primary care doctor who was like, 
hey, I think you need to go on antidepressants because for one thing, I was, um, I, I, I was d- depressed. Like, okay. Um, but also I had a lot of rage. I don't think you even knew that I had a lot of rage, like more than is normal for me. <laughs> um, and like, I was at points where like, if anybody's ever seen um, Avengers Age of Ultron, I was like at a point where like Michael would just like move wrong and I'd be like Hawkeye being like, no one would ever know. I could I could kill him and no one would know. Oh, that's so sad. I don't know what happened. He was so great. I don't know what happened. But and I don't mean I was literally like I could kill him, but I was extremely irrationally angry for no reason. And that is what brought me to the doctor. And I was like, my memory is shit and I'm angry all the time at nothing. And yeah, like antidepressants ended up working and I got lucky in that I was put on one right away that worked. But it just, I don't know. I don't know. It, I think it's just wholly irresponsible to be like, oh, but your antidepressants or your depression or your mental illness are going to negatively impact you in such a way that you'll commit such a terrible, horrific crime. Basically, what I'm going to be laying out, that that's kind of the first uh, option for motives. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm just saying I disagree. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other things that go into it. Also, this investigation was initially done in 1999. So there's mm-hmm. a, there was a lot more stigma about mental health at that point. So uh, I think if the if they reinvestigated this case, it, the outcome might be a little different for what they decided yes. what the motive was. Um, but anyway, so another um, motive is obviously the bullying slash outcast theory. So mm-hmm. many accounts from parents and school staff reported that there was a lot of bullying at the school. Uh, There were even some early stories right after the massacre that said school administrators and teachers at Columbine had long condoned bullying by jocks. Like I had mentioned earlier, Klebold and Harris were often targeted for spending a lot of time together, and they were called um, the F-word faggots. Um, That's... I'm so fucking stupid because you said that. And I was like, fuckers. Like, why are you calling it the F word? No, there's a worse one. I just blocked that out, too. Um, So Brooks Brown noted that Harris was born with a mild chest indent, which made him reluctant to take off his shirt in the locker room. He it's high school. He had a weird thing and like he didn't want to. He didn't want the pressures of it. Whatever. He was getting bullied the same way. Exactly. Like everybody, you're a teenager. You mean you're comfortable in your body? Yeah, you're supposed to take off all your clothes in front of everybody else your age. Yeah. Whatever. So, um, and obviously this resulted in even more teasing. Um, Klebold told his father about the jocks once and said, quote, they sure give Eric hell, hell, end quote. Um, mm. Nathan Vandero, who is a friend of Klebold, um, and Alyssa Owen, who knew Harris, noted that they were definitely picked on. Vandero recalled that a, quote, cup of fecal matter was once thrown at no. them. Yeah. Oh, so this isn't, what? This isn't oh. just like the 1980s movie bullying where you get like hip checked into a locker and right. like called like a, a bad name. Right. The, Though that hurts, the, by it, the that, way. Yeah, that's horrible. That's yes. That bullying should not be going <laughs> like, on. Yes, we're not saying that that's not bad. 
Yeah. But but this is fucking shit right yeah. at you. Like, what are you, a fucking ape? Like, what is this? Yes. That's um, so, that's not even, that's not hygienic. That's just, that's so fucking wrong. Yeah. And I'm not saying it condones anything, but like, what the fuck, yeah. man? Well, there's more. So it was alleged that Harrison Klebold were once both confronted by a group of students at CHS who sprayed them with ketchup while referring to them as faggots and queers. Klebold told his mother that it was the worst day of his life. Is ketchup gay now? I don't. Like what? I don't. What? Um, according to, according to Brown, quote, that happened while teachers watched. They couldn't fight back. They wore the ketchup all day and went home covered with it. End quote. Yeah. Well, the teachers didn't want the. the there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of like they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. That's and I'm not defending them. I think it's absolutely wrong, and we need harsher punishments, not just for bullies, but for administrators and teachers who stand by and do nothing that look the other way um yes but it's just like i i don't know i don't know according to a classmate chad laughlin the incident involved seniors pelting klebold with quote ketchup covered tampons end quote um laughlin also stated quote a lot of the tension from the school came from the class above us there were people fearful of walking by a table where you knew you didn't belong, stuff like that. Certainly groups uh, got preferential treatment across the board, end quote. This is... Yeah. Um, a year after the massacre, an analysis by officials at the U.S. Secret Service of 37 premeditated school shootings found that bullying, which some of the shooters described um, in terms of... Uh, in terms that approach torment played a major role in more than two-thirds of the attacks. A similar theory expounded by Brooks Brown in his book on the massacre, No Easy Answers, which I'll get to, he mm-hmm. noted that the teachers commonly ignored bullying and that whenever Harris and Klebold were bullied by the jocks at CHS, they would make statements such as, quote, don't worry, man, it happens all the time, end quote. That's not... No, that's not. And I can... I can... I'm not saying this is definitely the case, but I can see teachers being like well he's a star athlete so oh yeah you know what oh, absolutely i'm gonna bump his grade because he'll he'll uh he won't be able to play next semester if he doesn't yeah. or like oh well he, he can if he gets one more in school detention he'll be yeah. benched next game exactly. and we're playing our high school rivals like oh there's a ton of it but obviously it's so like fucked obviously i didn't ask for like uh incident reports at columbine or anything so i don't know that this is definitely the case but like it sounds like from a lot of eyewitness accounts that that was kind of how it was which is fucked so yeah you can you can say like um harrison klebold were bullied and some people were like yeah well you know what i was bullied in high school too like this sounds a lot worse than some of the bullying that i've heard of before this uh, yeah it's it is in terms that approach torment they were tormented yes i will say i knew people who were tormented on this level and i will say that they did not turn into school shooters well i'm gonna some get of them turned into a very angry though medicated podcast co-host but <laughs> i will i will get to it but anyway so dave cullen who's the author of the book columbine and others dispute the theory of revenge for bullying as motivation. While acknowledging the pervasiveness of bullying in high schools, including CHS, Cullen claimed that they were not victims of bullying. 
He noted Harris was more often the perpetrator than the victim of bullying. Hmm. In fact, uh, in a fact check published on April 19th, 2019, on the eve of the 20th anniversary of the massacre, Jillian Brocknell of the Washington Post underscored that contrary to the popular view, their attack was not revenge for being bullied. Um, uh, they quoted, they said, um, do I think they were bullied? Absolutely. Was the bullying excessive and largely ignored by the school staff? Most likely. Was the bullying the reason for the massacre? No. No. Um, I personally think that the... Um, the school's condoning of the bullying was the real impetus behind the thirst for revenge. They weren't mad at the bullies themselves. Um, it, it wasn't the only thing that drove them to do this. Um, I think that the school, like I said, definitely favored the jocks over some of the students that they saw as maybe problems. Um, and that could definitely cause Harrison Klebold to be angry with the school. They were angry with the school and the the way it was run and kind of more the staff than the actual bullies. They were, they were, I don't know. When, when they went into the library and they asked for all of the people with the white hats, meaning the jocks, mm -hmm. I think that they may have thought that by getting rid of the jocks, the school wouldn't have anyone to defend anymore. And because they defended the jocks, it seemed like. Yeah, well, and not just defend, but, like, almost, like, worship. Exactly. But Put on I, a pedestal. I, yeah. Uh, though I will say, um, just, like, you had mentioned it in the last episode. You mentioned it a few times. I think that it was more a perfect storm, like you said, because it wasn't just the bullying. It yep. wasn't just the school's lack of accountability. It wasn't just their mental health it wasn't just that the two of them happened to cross paths and become friends with each it was all of that it was everything all of those contributing yes. factors among other things that you're going to get to if, if one of these things hadn't happened maybe it could have been different but only maybe yes it was just it, there were two it was just it was like a straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation. Yeah. It was a perfect storm. There was just, there were too many catalysts. Yeah, exactly. All rolled into one. And I, I don't know, in your pop culture thing, spoiler alert, maybe, do you talk about the book 19 Minutes by Jodi Pico? Yes. Okay. I think I do. Um, it's okay. been a while since I looked at it. Do, do you like, <laughs> do you go in depth with it? No, I don't go in depth with, with a lot of the pop culture stuff because honestly, it's Fair. about 10 pages. Fair. You know what? I'll save it for the pop culture then okay. um, because um, there's a thing I want to get into with that that I think also may come in as a defense. Okay. For a, And I'm not saying it like devil's advocate defense okay. that I disagree with, but that other people in relation to the bullying and the perfect storm yep. and this argument has been used before. That's all I'm going to say. I think this next Surprise. this next thing that is talked about as a, a motive can also be considered a contributing factor, but let me just talk about it first before I talk about why. So video games are often blamed. Parents of some of the victims filed several unsuccessful lawsuits against video game manufacturers. Gerald Block believes their immersive in a virtual world best explains the massacre. While Brooks Brown disagrees that video games caused the massacre, he agrees that elements of their plan came from video games. Mm -hmm. Harrison Klebold were both fans of shooter games such as Quake, Duke Nukem 3D, Postal, and their favorite was Doom. 
a file on Harris's computer read that um, the massacre will, quote, be like the L.A. riots, the Oklahoma bombing, World War II, Vietnam, Duke and Doom all mixed together, end quote. Mm -hmm. In his last journal entry, Harris wished to, quote, get a few extra frags on the scoreboard, end quote. He also wrote, quote, I must not be sidetracked, but my feelings by my feelings of sympathy. So I will force myself to believe that everyone is just another monster from doom, end quote. Mm-hmm. In Harris's yearbook, Klebold wrote, quote, I find a similarity between people and doom zombies, end quote. So there's a lot of references to doom to this game. Uh, Harris's. Harris actually named his shotgun Arlene after a character in Doom, in the Doom novels and said in one of the basement tapes that the shotgun was, quote, straight out of Doom, end quote. Mm-hmm. The Tech-9 Klebold used uh, resembled an AB-10, a weapon from the Doom novels that Harris referenced several times. After the massacre, it was alleged that Harris created Doom and Duke Nukem 3D levels rem- resembling CHS, but these were never found. He did definitely create his own levels because that was kind of a big appeal of Doom is like you could kind of create your own video game at some point. Right. Um, I'm out of my depth kind of going into talking about it. But um, I kind of agree with what Brooks Brown says is that elements of the plan came from video games. So I feel like... Um, they definitely went out to shooting ranges. I don't know if they went out to shooting ranges, but they definitely went out shooting in like some backcountry. And I also feel like some of these games they played, they kind of used as training. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they did use it as Harris said, as kind of a mask. He didn't want his feelings of sympathy to get in the way. So he wanted to feel like he was in the video game. Yeah. It, right. it, it helped to desensitize him, I think, in a way. Again, not saying that everybody who plays video games is going to go out and do something like this. Like no. we said, it's the perfect storm situation. It's like, yeah. it's a contributing factor, not the factor. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, another motive that was brought up a lot is music. Um, immediately after the massacre, a significant portion of blame was directed at Marilyn Manson and his band. In the weeks following the shootings, there were false narratives flying around, such as Klebold and Harris and the Trenchcoat Mafia were part of a gothic cult and that these shooters were fans and they were wearing the group's t-shirts during the massacre and that Manson's music drove them to kill. Although all of these claims would later be proven false, news outlets continued to run sensationalist stories with headlines such as, quote, killers worshipped rock freak Manson, um, and another one that was, quote, devil-worshipping maniac told kids to kill. So, obviously, okay. these are, like, Inquirer article right, headlines. Right, right, right. Um, it's, it's clickbait shit. It is. It's clickbait shit, and quite frankly... Lazy, I, I think. It's, la- it's lazy, and it stigmatizes people who are fans of that music, just like how it was done with... Um, the black metal musician from morbid morbid thank you um trust me there are plenty of reasons to hate marilyn manson he's a vile fucking human being but he didn't inspire no like people to like so many people enjoy his music music like his music it's just it's not 
it's yeah. it's it's a form of self-expression it's a form of art and yeah. you're not like it's it's i'd say i'd say it's also different than like first person shooter games and things like that and that you're not like immersed in it you're just i mean people can get immersed in music but like that's a yes that's a but whole i other mean thing. you're not like acting out like yeah like for example pumped up kicks it's about a school shooting but you're not living oh, we'll get to pumped up out kicks. oh i know we'll get to pumped up <laughs> kicks but you're not living exactly yeah, yeah. The, you know what i mean like i don't think the music video was even a, i don't know if there even was a music video i think there was honestly. but i don't know it um but anyway so under mounting pressure in the days after columbine the group postponed their last five north american tour dates out of respect for the victims and their families again even though they had nothing to fucking do with it exactly manson published his response to those accusations in an op-ed piece for the rolling stone titled columbine whose fault is it um in this article he criticized america's gun culture the political influence of the national rifle association and the media's irresponsible coverage of the event, um, which he said facilitated the placing of blame on a scapegoat instead of debating more relevant societal issues. So, I mean, yeah, all of that is correct. Yes. Um, after concluding the European and Japanese legs of their 1999 tour on August 8th, the band withdrew from the public view to work on their next album, which would be 2000's Hollywood in the Shadow of the Valley of Death which is an artistic rebuttal to the allegations leveled against them. And again, I'm going to go a little more in depth with that in the next episode, but Manson appeared on the April, 2001 episode of the O'Reilly factor, where he once again denied that the band's music was responsible for Columbine. Bill Mm O'Reilly argued that quote, disturbed kids without direction from responsible parents could misinterpret the message of his music as endorsing the belief that quote, when I'm dead, then everybody's going to know me, end quote. Um, Manson responded, quote, well, I think that's a very valid point, and I think that's a reflection of not necessarily this program, but of television in general, that if you die and enough people are watching you, you become a martyr, you become a hero, you become well-known. So yeah. when these, uh, So when you have these things like Columbine and you have these kids who are angry and they have something to say and no one's listening to them, the me- the media sends a message that says if you do something loud enough and it gets our attention then you will be famous for it those kids ended up on the cover of time magazine twice the media gave them exactly what they wanted yeah. that's why i never did any interviews around that uh that time when i was being blamed for it because i didn't want to contribute to something that i found to be reprehensible end quote mm-hmm. um during the supporting tour for hollywood Manson appeared on Michael Moore's 2002 documentary Bowling for Columbine. His appearance was filmed during the band's first show in Denver since the shooting. When Moore asked Manson what he would have said to the students at Columbine, he replied, quote, I wouldn't say a single word to them. I would listen to what they had to say, and that's what no one did, end quote. Again, mm. say what you want about Marilyn Manson, however problematic he is. I think all of the points he makes in this instance are extremely concise correct and easily digestible to anyone who is confused about this case yes well you can still be a bad person and still be correct about something not about what you did what you did was fucked up but yeah yeah um so moving away from manson the boy they weren't fans of manson but they loved german rock bands km fdm and rammstein and their loves for these groups were very well documented Harris's mm-hmm. website contained lyrics from both the artists as well as translations for their songs that were done in German. 
in the same blog post which um harris threatened uh brooks brown he wrote quote i'll just go to some downtown area and blow up and shoot everything i can feel no remorse no sense of shame the last sentence is a quote from the kmfdm song anarchy Klebold wrote in Harris's yearbook, my wrath for January's incident will be godlike. And he wore a shirt that said wrath um, during the massacre. Wrath and godlike are both songs by KMFDM. Mm -hmm. On April 20th, 1999, the day of the shooting, KMFDM released the album um, Adios. Harris noted the coincidence of the album's name and the release date in his journal, uh, saying, quote, a subliminal final adios tribute to Reb and Vodka. Thanks, KMFDM. I ripped the hell out of the system. Uh, end quote. And that is quoting the song Godlike. KMFDM's right. frontman, Sasha Konetsko, I definitely butchered that. I'm so sorry. Uh, responded to the controversy with a statement, quote, first and foremost, KMFDM would like to express their deep and heartfelt sympathy for the families parents and friends of the murdered and injured children in littleton we are sick mm -hmm. and appalled as the rest of the nation by what took place in colorado yesterday kmfdm are an art form not a political party from the beginning our music has been a statement against war oppression fascism and violence against others while some of the former band members are german as reported in the media none of us condone any nazi beliefs whatsoever end quote so yeah. i mean this hard group had to come out and like and I think, you know what? Harrison Klebold would have hated that, that their favorite oh, group yeah. came out and said, no, we do not support anything you guys believe in or think of. <laughs> so, or even, even beyond that, that they, that they, that they just imagine being the biggest fan of a, of a musician, of a group, of an actor or whoever, and they come out and they're like, no they're i hate them yeah exactly like oh the that's fucking a, that's another slap yeah um uh i think this is my final yes this is my final uh motive that is uh widely talked about and that is movies so we talked about video games music now it's movies uh, so course. harrison klebold were fans of the movie natural born killers and you know, it's a film about two victims of traumatic childhoods who became lovers and mass murderers and are irresponsibly glorified in the mass media. We've talked about Natural Born Killers before. Yeah. Um, they even use the acronym NBK as the code name for the massacre. Mm. In February 1998, so a year and a little bit before the massacre, Klebold envisioned the massacre with a, um, with a girl in the film writing, quote, soon either I'll commit suicide or I'll get... Um, I'll get with the name, the girl's name is redacted and it will be NBK for us. End quote. In <laughs> April, 1998, Harris wrote, quote, when I go NBK and people say things like, Oh, it was tragic or, Oh, he was crazy or, Oh, it was so bloody. I think so. Um, what do you think? That's a bad thing. End quote. Uh, also in April, 1998, Harris wrote, quote, NBK, I love it. Sometime in April, me and V will get revenge and we'll kick natural selection up a few notches, end quote. Oh, for fuck's sake. In Harris's yearbook, Klebold wrote, quote, the holy April morning of NBK, end quote. Around February, 1999, he wrote, quote, maybe going NBK, uh, with Eric is the way to break free, end quote. In Harris's last journal entry, he wrote, quote, everything I see and I hear, I incorporate into NBK somehow. 
uh, feels like a movie sometimes, end quote. Parents of some of the victims filed several unsuccessful lawsuits against film companies over films such as The Basketball Diaries, which include a dream sequence of students shooting his classmates in a trench coat. In one of the basement tapes, they talk about how they want movies to be made about their story. Eric says he wants the film to have, quote, a lot of foreshadowing and dramatic irony, end quote. Klebold mm-hmm. says, quote, directors will be fighting over this story. I know we're going to have followers because we're so fucking godlike. We're not exactly human. We have human bodies, but we've evolved into one step above you. Fucking human shit. We actually have fucking self-awareness, end quote. Uh, they go on to discuss whether Steven Spielberg or Quentin Tarantino should direct a film about them. Uh, yeah. No. Also, Don't you're give them the- 17 years old. You are not godlike. The hubris of 17-year-olds is something oh, that I will yeah. cringe at and also judge forever. Yes, and it, I will say it's not just limited to these fuckheads. Like, it's it's all 17. If you're 17 and listening to this, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll be laughing with us in a few years. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's a whole political terrorism theory. And then, like I had mentioned, maybe at the end of last episode, there's like an MK Ultra thing. I'm not going to get into the conspiratorial ones. That's a little aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, why did they do it? So there were times in the basement tapes that they acknowledge that what they were planning to do is wrong. And they almost seem like they didn't want to do it at all, but that they had to. At one point in a tape dated about a month before the shooting, Klebold predicted his parents' feelings of regret, saying, quote, if only we could have reached them sooner or found this tape, saying for his parents. Mm. Harris does the same, saying, quote, if only we would have searched their room, if only we would have asked the right questions, end quote. He then goes on to talk about how his mother is really actually thoughtful and she would always bring him candy and Slim Jims, And he says, quote, I'm really sorry about all this. My parents might have made some mistakes, but they weren't really aware of, end quote. In another tape, when, like I said, Harris made some tapes by himself, he talks about the toll that his actions will have on his family. Quote, my parents are the best fucking parents I have ever known. My dad is great. I wish I was a, I wish I was a fucking sociopath, so I didn't have any remorse, but I do. This is going to tear them apart. They will never forget it. Uh, He then addresses his parents directly, um, briefly. Um, There's nothing you guys could have done to prevent this. There is nothing that anyone could have done to prevent this. No one is to blame except for Vodka and me. That Vodka, again, is Klebold's nickname. Our actions are a two-man war against everybody else. End quote. Another part of the tape, while Harris is by himself in his car, he mentions how he wishes he could have revisited Michigan and his old friends, he falls silent and appears to start crying, wiping a tear from his uh, the left side of his face, and he shuts off the camera. So, like I said, kind of when they're alone, it sounded like if they could have been separated, again, shoulda, coulda, woulda, if they could have been separated, maybe something could have been different. I yeah, don't know. If, if they had never met. Yeah. Something could have been different, but... I, it just even the oh like I wish I was a sociopath because I do feel bad about this. I'm sorry. Like you clearly don't feel that bad if you went through with it, if you yeah. did it, if you were cheering and whooping and all that other bullshit. Like you just clearly 
you don't feel that bad. I mean, maybe he was unstable and he he felt bad one minute and didn't feel bad another minute. And it just depended. Like, sometimes the camera was on for it. Sometimes it wasn't. But regardless, like, if you feel bad about something you're about to do, generally, unless it's, like, the right thing to do, yeah. ultimately, you know what I mean? Like, you don't do it. Yeah, you just been, don't fucking do it. They've been planning it for like three years at this point. Yeah, but he feels really bad. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it was, he was by himself. Why would he lie about any of this? He, I mean, there was nothing to gain from from lying. So, like, I don't I think do, he was lying. I do believe, like, he actually felt these things. So the fact that he actually went through with it is still even more baffling. It it sounded like they didn't want to do it. I don't know. I mean, but again, if you didn't want it, no one was forcing him. No one was forcing either of them. They didn't have not to be, you know, but they didn't have guns to their heads. Yeah. They were not being forced to do any of this. Yeah. They did it of their own free will and they had plenty of time to plan it and to back out. Yeah. Um, so, huh, we're running long again. I know like, I said no, I would get to really? a lot of, um, the Survivor stories. I will, we'll, we'll get through the next episode a little bit faster. But before we go, I just wanted to say, um, so I, I told you last week, I read through all of their journals. I read through all of Harris's, uh, blog. So the, the entries from his blog were transcribed and like put up on the internet um his blog is not still active is what i mean Mm -hmm. so i found a passage that i found kind of interesting i do not know if this is actually true Mm -hmm. it just it's it's weird um but this is this was labeled i will link all of my um my sources on the website if anybody really wants to know this was labeled as being a part of his blog and i just want to read it out because it's kind of interesting to me. So, okay. Um, let me just find out where to start. Um, and God damn it, do not blame anyone else besides me and V for this. Do not blame my family. They have no clue. There is nothing they could have done. They brought me up just fucking fine. Don't blame toy stores or any other stores for selling us ammo, bomb materials, or anything like that because it's not their fault. I don't want no fucking laws on buying fucking PVC pipes. We were kind of select we were kind of a select case here. So don't think this will happen again. Don't blame the school. Don't fucking put cops all over the place. Just because we went on a killing spree. Doesn't mean everyone else will and hardly ever. um, And hardly ever do people bring bombs or guns to school. Anyway, the admin is doing a fine job uh, as it is. I don't know who will be left after, but sorry, he's kind of rambly. Uh, after we kill, but damn it, don't change any policies just because of us. It would be stupid if there was any way in this fucked up universe we can come back as ghosts or what the fuck ever. We will haunt the life out of anyone who blames us, anyone besides me and V. If by some weird as shit luck, um, my, my and V survive and escape, we will move to some island somewhere or maybe Mexico, New Zealand, or some exotic place where Americans can't get us. If there isn't such a place, we will hijack 
a hell of a lot of bombs and crash a plane into NYC with us inside firing away as we go down, just something to cause more devastation. Uh, so, there's a lot. There's a lot happening there. Not not just the fact that he predicted 9-11. Yeah. And um, among other things, it's not gonna, it's not like this is going to happen again. That really... Yeah. Like, listen, like, that's not how it works, you absolute little fucker. Like... Oh, I don't want PVC pipes to be illegal. It wasn't, it's never the parents' fault. First of all, like, it's it's not the, the, the seller's fault that we got guns and ammo. Yes, it fucking is. It is their fault that they sold it to minors. It is their fault that they didn't do a background check. It is their fault that they didn't do a mental yeah, health check. I, I 100% I agree on the, the gun front, but yes, um, the way that the parents, he says... it's not. Yeah, the way he says, like, the parents don't blame my family they had no clue um yes yeah and but that's not the case for all though i will say like for example adam lanza's mother was the one that took him to shooting ranges adam lanza's mother bought him guns yeah. and ammo adam lanza's mother gave him the information to the gun safe and what did she end up doing she ended up getting killed by her own son before he went on a rampage yeah like it uh, can be worry. a parent's fault don't worry we will get to uh that case oh yeah and today was just a taste of how i'm gonna handle that fucking case yeah um but again sorry we ran long uh next episode is going to be just as long so strap in um but we'll talk a lot more about um the the beautiful things that came out of the case if you can say that just the the strength of some of the people that um went through it and again we're talking about some of the pop culture. Some great, some not great. Yeah. Um, but again, go to the, the website. I almost gave the fucking website for my office at work. <laughs> <laughs> go to that website too. No. Visit Haley at work. Hey, my how favorite about don't? thing. My favorite thing is when I call Haley at work and I use like a fake voice. Because I'm, I, I am obligated. <laughs> I am paid to answer the phone. Yeah, so but I, I have to the answer last time the I phone. Did it, you got so pissed. Yeah, because <laughs> not you know at how, me. You know how many other so people obstinate. I have to deal with. Yeah, and I and I like laid it on thick with the stupid. And You're that's so lucky what I didn't transfer you, you to my boss. <laughs> anyway, our website for the podcast is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com um you can email us crimeculturepod at gmail.com we have all the social medias facebook instagram twitter so check us out on there we have a patreon you can join for as little as a dollar as much as whatever you want and there's rewards at each level and we love every single person that joins our patreon and thank you everybody that has joined the patreon at any level and uh how much more can i do on one breath i don't know but we will see Ah! you next tuesday Bye.